mention it. Yeah. Episode 22 of the Now That You Mention a Podcast with Kevin and Dane. My name is Dane. And I'm Kevin. And we got... We got Bronny in the back. Yep. He's, you can hear you him. You can hear him. She's he's, our, he's our audience. Again. So cute. So annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, he was sick. That was yesterday. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bronny, come on, man. Go sit down. Um... So yeah, in the main segment of today's show, we are talking about the God MC himself, Rock Him. Right. Um, On the heels of his birthday. That's right. Yeah. And we we actually we read his memoir, which is called Sweat the Technique, and we're just gonna have a sort of discussion of Rock Him's legacy and a, a broader discussion of that era of hip hop. I'm right. feeling like. Right. But before that, opening segment. What you got? Opening segment. <laughs> Man. Rest in peace to uh, Kobe Bryant and to the to his daughter and the seven others who lost their lives on that fateful, fatal helicopter crash. That yeah. shit was that that is hands down the biggest loss in sports history. Yes, yeah. like there's nothing else is comparable. I don't nothing else comes to mind. I think least. that's gonna be the biggest. I mean, knock on wood, right? Like fingers yeah. crossed. Like, yeah. but that that might be the yeah that, that might that, go down as the yeah. most shocking, right? Monumental, like premature loss of someone that like a public figure like that, right? Right. And it's so crazy because it's like for for like for like our generation, yeah. not including like political assassinations. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that's why it's like I think for. Um, think for us it's so shocking because he was so young like to think like 41 and you're like you're just you're just getting started with like all this other shit and like transitioning yeah. like one and seamlessly you know won an oscar like it's wild yeah it's wild but my brother said some crazy shit though to me yesterday um he was like and i i don't know i don't think he necessarily said this. I think he said one of his friends, but um, he essentially said that the Mamba mentality is probably what led to this, to his demise in terms of sort of like, look, we can make it, you know, like all like LA, LAPD helicopters were, were grounded that day. You uh, know? And so it's, it's kind of like everybody was like, nah, we're not flying. And it's like shit. We got to get to this game. Yeah, we got it. You know what I'm saying? Like fucking. No, let's just... no. I I hadn't heard that before. That's that's yeah. really really wild to think about. But also there was the the clip that was circulating where he was explaining his rationale behind why he started taking the mm-hmm. the chopper. Mm-hmm. And it was all. Did you see that? No. It was it was all. He was he was on like some late night show, and it was post his retirement. 
when he was starting to get in, involved with his daughter's <clears throat> basketball more and more. And he was like, I, we, we would just waste too much time sitting in traffic and I'm right. trying to maximize every single mm. iota of time with my with not only my daughter but the rest of my family too. Right. And that yeah, was no, the reason he, yeah. he 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 incorporated the helicopter. Yeah. Which I mean, is it, it yeah. makes sense. It makes sense though. Like when you really think about it like that, like damn, like here's this mentality that you've developed that that took you, you know, to heights of your sport that cats will never reach you know or only a select few you know have reached and it's like that could be the same thing that led to your ultimate demise like that shit is yeah. wild well it's, it's just crazy to think that in a certain way um sort of everything it's so fucked up to think about but everything was leading to what happened hmm in terms mm-hmm. of like the chain of events, like his retirement, his relationship with his daughter, him being such a good dad, him loving basketball so much. It like Yeah. And so it's but another thing that I was thinking about, which like right in the in the immediate aftermath of it, when I was getting news and I had just I had just hit you up and a bunch of my friends from LA were I got the TMZ article and shit. It was so surreal to me. I was thinking like you know the theory, the like the, I think it's like a quantum physical theory, but like the multiverse, mm-hmm. that the the universe is either infinite or so big that everything that can happen has yeah, happened right. in some sense right. somewhere, right. and it. I mean that's what all the top physicist cats think, even though it's such a counterintuitive, crazy thing, and so like the 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 implications of that is that somewhere, not even within our observable universe, but just because the universe is so big or infinite. Somewhere, some people that look exactly like you and me are having this conversation. Only, I'm wearing the Arkansas hoodie. Right. And you're wearing the tan hoodie. Right. And so every combination of things. And I was just thinking, like, this is so surreal. Like, we we're in the part of the multiverse where Kobe Bryant dies in a fucking helicopter crash. Right. At the age of 41. Right. Like it just doesn't make sense. While that other multiverse where you have on the Arkansas hoodie and I have on the tan hoodie, Kobe's gonna he's still right. You yeah, know, yeah. Like yeah. we're in the corner of the universe where this happens. Yeah, that's crazy. And I'm just like, yeah, it's insane. Yeah. But yeah. I do think um I think the NBA should go ahead and, and change the logo. Um I I initially, I initially said that they should retire either 24 or 8 just across the league. But now that I think about it, I do think that they should change the logo, especially because, one, Jerry is there, West. Is, there, is, is that a... People have been petitioning for it. Wow. Um, but, number one, Jerry West is still alive. Um, and Jerry West, and Jerry West is the one who got Kobe to the Lakers and the whole, yeah. like, their relationship. So... I think it would be fitting for Jerry West to sort of hand that over in that way. Um, in the wildest shit, Kobe is now only, he's one of three NBA MVPs in the modern era who have passed away. Wow. Everybody, else, like fucking Bill Russell, Bill Russell is still alive. Yeah. And Bill Russell was here during fucking slavery. <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> So wow, yeah, it's crazy when you think about it. That's really crazy, 
and just and just I mean there's so much we could talk about I mean I don't want to talk your ear off about it but like I was watching Australian Open tennis this morning the finals and fucking mm-hmm. Novak Djokovic who won it all had like an eight and a 20 foot like, right and he was like he gave his speech when he won he was like yeah I was really close with Kobe he inspired me a lot I'm like yeah, I mean Neymar. Neymar went out the two, with the, the with the two four, yeah, with the twenty four. Yeah. So it's yeah, like that's why I say like this is the biggest loss in sports. Yeah. Like because when other cats, when other cats pass away, you know, it's it's oftentimes you know natural causes. They're old or some shit like that. But yeah, this shit yeah. is shit is nuts. And yeah, I don't want to because I feel like this. We'll have a whole episode devoted to what I'm going to sort of start alluding to just now, but um, it's like the way people reacted to it, it's like a litmus test of your... Of how, just how your, woke you are? Of, of how woke you are, but on the other end of, the, of just your basic human decency, because last episode we briefly talked about our our good friend pundit ben shapiro Mm -hmm. who just delivers scorching hot take after hot take Mm -hmm. um and and because in preparation for the free speech episode ben ben shapiro was like in my youtube history now my algorithm the youtube algorithm is pumping me like ben shapiro shit but so i'm on youtube the other day and i see like ben shapiro reaction to kobe bryant's death i click it and as much as i dislike ben shapiro and think he has all these like really really just awful takes on hip-hop and he masquerades these just like kind of quasi-racist views as like the deep truths that everyone else is too afraid to say, right. but like, and, and you know, I could go on and on about how much I dislike everything that Ben Shapiro does, but he had like a video that, as far as I could tell, was really, really earnest in terms of like just being devastated by it. And I'm like, okay, if Ben Shapiro is mm. is is on this kind of energy, and then there's people out there that are are talking all sorts of other crazy shit the second he dies. That just to me is a kind of crazy, crazy contrast. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess if you're because I was no Kobe fan, I hated the Lakers growing up. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, by default, I was I was anti Kobe. Right. I'm a basketball fan, yeah. so I understand like what like who Kobe was. Never, you know, never denied that, and so it's like. As a as somebody who grew up in this era, and then not to mention, um, nineteen ninety seven, the Air Jordan Thirteens dropped. Mm-hmm. My mom used to get me, my two brothers, and my sister literally every pair of fucking Jordans that came out. I skipped the ninety seven joints and got the Kobe's. Were those the Adidas Kobe's? Yep, those spaceship looking things. No, not the spaceships. Those are the. Uh, they they brought them back out there, the ones that's, that are called the Crazy Eights, but they were called the KB Eights. So I'm an OG to this. Yeah, you are. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's like so, so going from like that, you know, somebody who's a figure in that in that sense, and you you know, if you're being honest and you grew up in this era, like you understand like how devastating this shit is. But if you want to just be a self righteous, performative woke motherfucker then yeah you're gonna bring up some shit like oh he was a rapist that's something for another day but it's just like those are those are the polar opposites that we're dealing with 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. If if someone like Ben Shapiro, who I you would think would have would be incentivized to maybe like come down hard on all the people who are celebrating Kobe, and he you you could see how he would be given given his agenda, how he would be incentivized to call out maybe like what he would see as like the hypocrisy of mm-hmm. of liberal LA adoring Kobe and yet, you know, right, right. ignoring the allegations of rape or, or whatever, right. the, the credible accusation of rape, however you want to however you want to say yeah. it. But then to have to see mad people on Twitter, actors, activists, you know, coming out and saying shit like Kobe Bryant died, he was great, but also he was a rapist. Like the second, you know, when, when the, it's just, I mean, yeah, like you're saying, there's, there's a whole other conversation to have, but I'm like, yeah, they're trash. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So that's all I wanted to talk about for the opening segment. I I didn't really have anything else. Can I have one silly thing? Yeah. No. So the, the doorman chronicles continue, bro. So... This is a house, this is an apartment complex that I've been going to forever that, like we talked about, this this is the Upper East Side joint with the, hello, Mrs. Je- the, the brown, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. gross brown old suits and shit. Right. These guys know me, clearly, every single time, but there's one dude that just vibes me out, OD, every single time. And I go in a couple weeks ago, maybe a week ago, and lately he hasn't been asking my name. He's like, oh, you're going up to such and such apartment? Go on up, go on up. He's still vibing me out, but it, like, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's like a mutual thing now. And he's like, he's like, oh, so you're going up to what's in, like, whatever apartment it is? And I'm like, yep. And he's like, oh, by the way, I forgot your name. What's your name? And I'm like, I'm kind of taken aback because I'm like, oh, that's nice for him to actually be like, oh, I forgot your name. Like, what is it? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, yeah, how are you, man? My name is Dane. I clearly enunciate Dane. Mm-hmm. And without even looking at me, he picks up the phone and like kind of like in this snubbing brush off way, he's like, all right, Dan, go on up. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, I was like, I was like, you, you baited me hey. with the cordial vibe. <laughs> you baited me. And then I, I was just sitting hey, there like, bro, I was just sitting there like, uh, uh, excuse from now on. Your name is Dan. Bro, the Dan thing is egregious. I don't understand what the confusion is. It's it's a it's a hard E. It's Dane. It's a long A sound. It's not a Dan. Wow. And cats and cats will hit me with the like what is 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 Daniel your full name? And I was like, "Well, no because just with some basic deduction, you could realize that my short my diminutive would then be right. Dan, motherfucker." Right. Right. And then some people are like, oh, it's Daniel. On that note, <laughs> on that note. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Rakim. Enjoy the break.
All right, welcome back to the Now That You Mentioned a Podcast. At this moment, we would like to invite you to follow us on social media at NTYMIPod or email us at NTYMIPod at gmail.com and suggest episodes and review us um, because all the dopest podcasts have that mad ratings and and reviews. Right. And because they, they sort of galvanize their fan base. And right. So... We need to do that. Yeah. We, y'all need to step up. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah. just review the shit, rate it, yeah. boost, bump the algo. Our, our audio you, engineer, Chris. If you listen to us for an hour, then you can. Yeah, there's no, that's what I'm saying. There's no excuse. If, if, right. if, you're, if you're dedicated to listening to even just what we say at the beginning or whatever it is, it takes no effort to just right. tap. Yeah. But our, our beloved audio engineer, Chris mm-hmm. responded like you know how you can respond back to like a, a Instagram profile story. Mm-hmm. He hit me back with a just like the bump, and I was like, "What do you mean bump, bro?" And he was like, "It's for the algo." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh, algo manip! This is what this is what I this is what I love." Okay, okay, shout out to so Chris. respond to our stories, comment on our shit, like it, share it, yeah, manipulate the algo however you can, yeah. All right. As we previously stated today, we're talking about Rakim, the mm. God MC. Yes. What are his other, formerly known as Kid Wizard, <laughs> right. Wiz Kid, yeah. before he became Rakim. Um, yeah. Possibly one of the most influential rappers ever, but today I'm going to let Kevin be the play-by-play and I'll be the color Ooh. commentator little role reversal is that how we're doing it i mean so let's okay okay so let's go into the to the memoir let's go into the memoir the memoir is sweat the technique revelations on creativity from the lyrical genius rakim so the first thing the first thing about rakim's memoir this isn't a typical memoir right um the the form like the style, like dude is like incorporating like self help and like how tos. Yep. Uh, obviously, you know, narrative um, reflections and shit. So I think, so the first thing I wrote in my notes is rock him as a paradigm shifter, right? And the reason I, I said that is like just the way the book is put together reflects his overall influence on hip-hop as this sort of shift and so this shit is if you pick it up and read it any rapper who picks this up and read it and then like you're deciding hey i'm gonna do my own memoir you got some fucking shoes to fill yeah yeah it's really <laughs> it's really really well written and i know some of you are probably thinking like well it's from Rakim, so wouldn't you expect it to be well written? And I'm like, my response to that is no, because just because you're a good rapper doesn't mean you're a good narrative memoir right. writer. Right. And so yeah, it was really, really engaging, especially the narrative part for me. So it's 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 straight narrative from Rakim's early life on Long Island, where he was born and raised, a town called Wyand Dan. Yeah, I, I can't I pronounce could, it. I couldn't not but it's in Nassau it. County. Um it's a hamlet, it, like Wyandank or something like that. Um yeah. But so it's it, it's straight narrative from his childhood to his his come up 
as right. an MC. Right. Um, and then it's it's interspersed with just straight lyrical breakdown. So like it'll be a um, an excerpt or a whole song of lyrics and then his notes on it. And then it's just like reflections on, as the title, as the subheading says, like reflections on creativity. It's sort of like his advice mm-hmm. that's that's divorced from the straight narrative. Um, and, and what's super interesting about the narrative, though, is, and I guess this is this will like <clears throat> this will go into our larger convo, but um, you're also seeing the you're also seeing the sort of maturation of hip hop. Exactly through, through Rakim, through yep. his narrative. It was a dope. Just outside of if if you're uh, just a hip hop head or like a Rakim fan, you're gonna want to read it. But just as someone interested in just the history of the genre, like it's if you completely separate Rakim's like the biographical details of 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 this book, you're getting a dope history of like the state of hip hop before Rakim, right? And then how it evolved, and then especially because it has the lyrical breakdowns alongside of it. And I mean, to me, it prompted me to go back and listen to all the different oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. Like you get a really good sense of just what the state of hip hop was. You get a greater appreciation for what was going on because, the, and this can be one of the larger points we talk about. We don't have to jump into it now, but like that that first golden age, which Rakim says is pretty much bracketed by like LL Cool J's first album with Rick Rubin. Mm-hmm. In 1985, radio, and then bracketed on the other end with Eric B. and Rakim's last album they did Mm -hmm. together in 1992. So there's just so much diversity, and the sound, even within that short window of time, changed so much. I mean, you listen to LL Cool J's first album that Rick Rubin produced in 1985. You listen to Run DMC, Raising Hell, 1986, Beastie Boys, 1986. I mean, this is like this sequenced drum machine, Rick Rubin, 80s hair metal, drums, right. rock, real rap, rap rock, rock type, yeah, yeah, type yeah. shit. I mean, it, because you, you also had, at that time, blossoming was the punk scene that Rick mm. Rubin is sort of coming out of as well. So like, that's where that mesh comes into play at. Yeah. Because you got the, <clears throat> you got the fucking punk rock scene in the 80s, New York, lower Manhattan and shit. You got and right. disc, disco kind disco of thing. Disco still yeah. is sort of, yeah. So it, it's all in that, that sort of, that sound. Because yeah. those are the, those are, those songs, those a lot of those tracks, especially the disco shit was where you got a lot of those break beats from. Right. So. But it just gives you such a crazy appreciation of how much it, the sound changed within such a short period of time. Because like, I keep coming back to it, but radio, LL Cool J, Licensed Ill, Beastie Boys, all all these Rick Rubin produced joints are just like, it sounds like, it doesn't sound like hip hop. Mm-hmm. It sounds like disco with like, like kind of hype men sort right, of rhyming, right, right. you know, and you would have right. Run and DMC going back and forth within like the same bar. It sounded more like was, something you would see at like an MSG. It was an act. It was yeah, an act. Yeah, it, it was, was, it was, it was, it was Yeah, it was a yep, routine. Yep, totally and, right. And, and, and Rakim... As the paradigm shifter, when you look at his narrative, number one, like his his influences, um, his parents. I mean, he he broke down how like his entire family was sort of in. Like his mom was a singer, his dad would manage, manage acts. acts. Yep. His, his brother was a pianist, and then his aunt or was oh, it his, his aunt, aunt well, yeah, his was aunt, like a famous R and B singer from yeah, the fifties, right? Right, and so 
you sort of see that influence in terms of just like his his style, his flow, and how he he was able to sort of incorporate, especially that jazz, that that element. Like you were you were able to see how he incorporated that into his flow, which completely changed the landscape. Yep. Of of the music scene. Like, yeah. So one of the things that I my ears perked up at that he mentioned just germane to what you were talking about is that he would well a just before we go any further it's just like to to spell it out perfect like really clearly his style on the mic was just so laid back and smooth compared to these hyper aggressive Mm -hmm. like routine (laughs) acts that were yelling into the mic and Mm -hmm. these one-liners and really super um not rhythmically relaxed super on top of on top of the beat phrases ending within the beat he sort of took he sort of divorced emceeing from that style and so one of the things that my ears perked up at was when he was talking about how listening to Coltrane he noticed that Coltrane's phrases would extend over the bar line so they wouldn't come to a clear end on the four Mm -hmm. right and they'd go they'd they'd be like a, a five beat phrase within you're playing four four time and he would do that and once i he would do that with syllables and his rhymes and once i got hip to that i started to notice like oh so that shit that 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 takes me to to the to the part that i thought was so dope that stuck out to me was when he um when he says that he's part lyricist part instrument Right, yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, like, that's actually, I think, what he changed. Because, as you were saying, like, prior to Rakim, um, where it was the sort of routinized back-and-forth one-liners, they weren't necessarily a part of the music, right? Like, yeah, yeah. they were... They were on top of the music, or... They you were know, reacting. They were reacting, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know what I'm... As as opposed to Rakim being part of the music, right? Like his flow. What the craziest shit is the fact that the shit that he would say was the only thing that was possible to be said within that to make it flow. The what you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it, it was it was to the point that he could construct bars where it's like you couldn't replace. A, you know, you couldn't replace a certain word for its synonym or whatever, and it, it make it work. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It, it was literally like he constructed shit that on that you know it only could fit that way. And yeah, it, it, it's just it's crazy going back and, and actually like looking at him break it down because you don't really understand like how cats. Um, you don't really understand how like how it is to be the first when it comes to some yeah. shit like that. And so yeah, hearing Jay-Z talk about rap is dope or hearing Nas talk about the shit is dope or whatever. But getting it from Rakim where it's like this is the actual source of this type of sound, this yeah. type of flow. Like that shit is crazy. So I don't want to lose I don't want to lose that. I just because I feel like there's something to be said about being the the trailblazer where mm. you kind of you 
you almost get fucked in a way because you're 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 blazing the trail for everyone who's going to come in your wake, come mm-hmm. after you. But at the time, you're still as much as you're innovating mm-hmm. and you're virtuosic, you're still constrained by the just sort of the realities of that time. So you you like technologically, you're still kind of. Yeah, operating bound. within a, yeah, yeah you're yeah, bound in yeah. certain ways that the people that come after you aren't going to be bound of right. course they're still bound by their times but still mm-hmm. like they the the heavy lifting i feel like a lot of the times you can acknowledge the heavy lifting in terms of innovation within an art form but a lot of that shit isn't the that isn't the stuff that you're like oh this is the this is the shit you know right. what I mean? <clears throat> right. Like, like, like in terms of like the visual, like the visual arts or whatever, it's like mm. the shit that really like changed the game, you know, in terms of like going from like the romanticism to the impressionists to the post-impressionists, like some of that shit is just, it's just boring, right? Yeah. But like, it's, it's incredibly valuable, but like, because, I want to get yeah. to the Rothko and the Pollock right, 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 and right, right, shit. Right. Like, right. No, it, it's, I look at, I look at Rakim my brother made this point um, while we were talking about it. Um, he said that Rakim, <clears throat> Rakim is Dr. J. So Dr. J is this when you when you talk to cats from like Jordan's era and shit, they all point to Dr. J as the one who, you know, really set the stage. Yeah, the, the style the sort of authenticity because you you go back it's on netflix now you go look at that dr j um documentary at the rucker it's like he was a cult he was like the sort of first cultural figure like that in the same way that rakim is like this really this straight embodiment of like the street culture like Rakim looked like a fucking dope dealer in the 80s with the dapper dance suits and the yep. the you know what I'm saying so it was just like had the had the windbreaker suits on with the with the gold and all of that shit and he's coming with it like he literally like set the stage and so like you said it is like fucked up that oftentimes the the trailblazers don't get as much credit as they deserve and I think that's also kind of kind of because we look at shit commercially like we sort of gauge credit based on you know how much of a commercial success yeah that you were so why cats will be like oh well jay-z's the greatest of all time is because not only does he have the skill but he has this commercial success to back it yeah well that well that's a horrible argument i think i think it's also part of the reason that might happen is also just because well it's like just the just the straight up like knowing the history i think mm-hmm. if you're not if it's sort of inculcated in you that the 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 godfathers of the game are like the nas and the jay-z then there's really no incentive to go back and like really right, right. pay homage to the epmds and the public mm-hmm. enemies right but shit what did i want to say oh okay before before we keep going i just want to show one of these like over the bar line things mm-hmm. so in the first verse the first few lines of move the crowd mm-hmm. off of paid in full rakim starts like this he goes standing by the speaker suddenly i had this fever mm-hmm so that that sentence is one unit. Right. It's one sort of metrical unit, but it goes over the bar line, which is just, 
I don't know how he. I mean, that's just sick. Yeah, I mean because he's he's an instrument. Like I think that's the the that's my like biggest takeaway is I don't think cats are. I don't think cats really use their lyricism as an instrument or if they can, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that, I think part of that is the really like the mystique around Rakim is the fact that like, here you had this dude dropped off in the fucking eighties, like spitting like that. Yeah. Like taking it to that, you know, like it's, it's absolutely nuts when yeah. you really yeah, yeah. sit back and think about it because you had like he even you know he even brought it up like you still had like Melly Mel and like Curtis Blow Curtis like, Blow like these are the cats who were like spitting and those were the cats yeah, who, yeah, you yeah. know who people were like yo Curtis Blow like, the breaks right. the breaks the breaks the breaks like, like, <laughs> come on man yeah. so it's like so listening to or or seeing like how far Rakim pushed it is yeah that's some that's some other shit so another thing that was crazy to me or just really really interesting about the memoir the the straight narrative part of the Rakim memoir was how I guess upfront I don't know if upfront is the right word but how upfront he was about the diversity that was present in rap at that time mm-hmm. and just about his what he called his middle class upbringing right where right. now i um, um a middle class upbringing for a, for rap as it's con- conceived by the center by mainstream like a, a middle class upbringing would be a liability would be something that you have to like compensate for you know yeah um yeah mm, cuz it's a lot of like middle class cats I guess it just depends on like what you're rapping about. Well, okay, yeah, let me let me let me let me let me kind of change what I was gonna say. In in the context of what was about to come right after Rakim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. In terms of Bad Boy, Death Row, th- the explosion of that. Right. It's just kind of crazy to think about the diversity that was present in in rap just between those. Mm-hmm. The eighty six and ninety two, just even in Long Island as. As Rocky was pointing out. Yeah, because I mean, like, you also have, like, Public Enemy. Well, you have Chuck D coming out of, like, yep. coming out of Long Island as well. And so, like, that middle class, I think because of the 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 subject matter, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as compromising. Yeah. Let, let, let me just, let me just read, let me just say what Rakim said, because he yeah. is more articulate than me. So he says... <laughs> The range of major hip-hop artists that Long Island produced reflected the geographical and class diversity of blacks in the mid to late 1980s. It also reflected the diversity of hip-hop, which had not yet become so heavily melded to the gangsta persona. Mm -hmm. You could still be perceived as middle-class, working-class, or college-educated during hip-hop Doing hip hop, excuse me, during that transitional period. Right. I guess that's what that's really what yeah, I'm trying to say. I'll yeah. let, let him say it better than yeah. me. Yeah, and that's <clears throat> I would agree because you know the because of the commercialization of like gangster rap and shit like that. Um, but I mean, you think about like the 
De La Soul, like mm. middle class, the far yep. side back in LA, like that Lemur Park area is, you know, technically like a little middle class enclave. Um, I'm just thinking like, it's, I guess it's like just sort of like how, like where, where are you trying to go? Because if that, because at the same time that the gangster sort of ethos, you know, uh, engulfed hip hop, it was more so like, okay, how is this person's narrative like how authentic is this narrative tied to this gangster ethos as opposed to i'm you know this middle class dude and i'm rapping about regular shit what i want to rap yeah 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 and then i don't i i think at that point you you kind of get the past which you know up till today like tyler the creator is you know a middle class yeah la dude yeah i guess yeah i guess what 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 i'm trying to say is that it's, it was just really interesting. Not that I expected anything different, but that he he talks about how he had a gun when he was a kid. He mm-hmm. accidentally shoots himself. He was. It, it's not like he had a, you know, a, a cookie yeah, cutter white picket white fence, picket fence yeah, suburban yeah. upbringing. But he's also not. He doesn't shy away from the fact that. At numerous points in the memoir, he's like, yeah, I pretty much always got what I wanted. Right. You know what right. I mean? Like, my parents were able to really, like, you know, that type of shit. Right. Which is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Like, for that, for where hip-hop was going commercially, that didn't square. Right. That's Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. So, okay. Let me just intersperse one of my questions because my experience reading this memoir was it really really enhanced my knowledge of just it it put the golden the first golden age of hip-hop into a a, a more concrete context to me Mm -hmm. by following this narrative of rakim through it Mm -hmm. um and i certainly learned a lot about rakim that i didn't know but also just rose a lot of questions to me just about hip-hop in general and about Mm -hmm. I guess about Rakim's place or just how we think about Rakim, how we think about Rakim's statement artistically. So he talks a lot about how he deliberately didn't rhyme about himself. And this kind of goes back to what we were just saying. What, what, what do you think about that? Just, it just like he, he deliberately didn't rhyme about himself. He, he says, here's what he says. Quote, I didn't write about my personal story. I wanted to write universal stories that everyone could relate to. I tried to write so the listener could find themselves in my rhymes. I wanted each member of the audience to feel like I was speaking directly to them. If I could make them think the song was for them, they'd love it, end quote. And so my thinking is that I guess as as someone who is sort of a slave to the moment that I was born into. Like I'm so used to hip hop being this very, very personal form where, where the rapper projected persona or not, they're still communicating about themselves in some way. And we're so used to that. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I'm just curious what you think about that deliberately putting a whole lot of distance between your artistic statement and you, the person and deliberately not, I mean, as Rakim said, deliberately not rhyming about himself. I I think that's just more so like a sign of like the artistic genius. Mm. Like, because I think a lot of times people are like pulling from their own personal experiences and stories and shit like that to create. And so for somebody to be able to sort of create 
you know, based around other shit, I think is pretty dope. But then I also think... Um, do you... Okay, do you think that Rakim's, I, I guess, legacy suffers in terms of his... In terms of, you know, like I was saying, like people think of Nas Jay-Z today. Mm-hmm. Rarely do you have someone that's getting interviewed on Breakfast Club and Charlamagne's like, yo, who, who are your heroes? And right. they're like, oh, it's Rakim. Yeah. You know what I mean? Do you think that, that the fact that he didn't, he deliberately didn't rhyme about himself made it harder to culturally attach on to him? Um, I wouldn't say culturally attached. I would say emotionally attached. That, okay, that's what I'm yeah. Okay, yeah, that's what yeah. I meant. That's what no, I meant. like, be, because culturally, if you're looking at him, then you have to you have to point to him as the source but if you're um if you're looking at it from a perspective like these rappers are giving you these personal stories so you feel like you're invested to the point that you know them yeah so then that you know that's where it comes into play like all right this is why I, you know i fuck with Nas. this is why i fuck with with hove or whatever so i have i have a few more questions mm-hmm. Ooh, i kind of have one Go ahead, go ahead. Okay. What was your take about um, Rakim sort of explaining <clears throat> throughout, you kind of get it throughout the, um, the like sort of breakdowns on like how to MC sort yep. of shit. But like, what was your take on his overall sort of philosophy about intentionality? Like how he's like saying you have to, you know, sort of be intentional with how you construct your bars and shit like that. And I guess thinking about like when you were talking about rappers always naming like other cats based on this like emotional connection. And it's just like, it is sad to see like how many people don't name Rakim because of like how much of a beast he is. Like when you start to like really look at just these different elements of like, how he's breaking down the ways in which he constructs bars is mm. like, how are you not naming him? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Sort of thing. And I think like that was like <clears throat> the biggest thing was like, he makes it a point to paint the picture in a certain way. Like he, he's saying something for a particular type of person. Like all of his shit is like intentional. Well, here's, the th- <clears throat> here's, here's what I took from that is that he is just, and and especially in these fucking weird postmodern times we're in, like mm-hmm. earnesty is not a quality that is really rewarded. Being mm-hmm. earnest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he earnestly laid like earnestly laid out how hard he worked to just get better at something. Right. And maybe it's not specific to hip hop, but looking like you're no, it's it's not. No. By no means is it specific to hip hop. At large. It's not really, for the most part, it's not cool to look like you work hard at to to, mm. to look like you really try at something to look like mm-hmm. you give give a shit. It's much cooler to not give a shit, right? right. And in hip hop, my my reference points for for that are like cats bragging about how they have no idea what they're about to rap before they go into the studio. They don't uh, write shit. Yeah, yeah. They they only do it in whatever it is, and it you sounds know? like it. it and. <laughs> So I don't know why that is the, I mean, just, it goes back to, it's just cool to not give a shit, but you know, he really treats it like a, he really treats it like a craft. And I don't think you would have anyone 
under any circumstances, even the most lyrically gifted cats out there today, be you wouldn't find them talking about how they started to write, not left to right, but you know, bracketing bracketing different right. words and creating these in, these intricate matrix matrices right, right. And of different combinations. Like I just don't think that that is what the thirst is for culturally. Right. It, maybe it goes back like to this. So we have, we like your, your phrase is that you come back to a lot is like the, this microwave kind of culture mm-hmm. and outside of certain sort of niche contexts, that really, really humble devotion to your craft. You need to be humble in order to be, in order to devote yourself to a craft. And I think that is just, that humility is not something that I think gets rewarded. So, in that sense, like, again, sort of the way that he constructs bars, it's not like this, you, what am I trying to say? It's not really, since his, his approach isn't narrative-based, and he is sort of constructing and painting these different vivid pictures and shit, as opposed to the rappers who are just telling their story or a version of their story or someone else's story or some shit like that. It's just how do I construct the narrative to make it fit into, you know, into this song as opposed to I'm trying to create an actual, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm trying to create this world around this as opposed to like, I think, I don't know, like the more I'm looking at it, it seems like it's a little bit easier for the cats who are just, going based off of narrative to just go in and be like, okay, I'm going to rap about what the fuck I did today. Of course. Or, oh, a hundred percent. About, yeah. So a hundred percent. I think Rakim had a, by Rakim sort of set throughout the memoir. He talks about how he's basically setting expectations for himself. He basically bracketed what he was he, he set limitations on himself about mm-hmm. what he about what his artistic statement was going to be he wasn't going to rap about his personal life he wasn't going to rap you know street shit mm-hmm. and within that now within these limitations now he's trying to and he didn't cuss that too. <laughs> within that he's trying to create these worlds right so that affords him a lot of freedom in terms of the technicality but what his detractors or what people that don't then it, it suffers in terms of the emotional connection that a, a listener is able to have mm-hmm. to him. I was thinking a lot about you know the writer Borges. Mm-hmm. I was thinking a lot about how Rakim kind of feels to me like the Borges of 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 mm-hmm. him. Where what's Bor? It's Jorge Luis Bor- yeah. something Borges. Um, but he was this cat that was probably one of the most abstract intellectual fiction writers of all time. Like he would create these complex worlds within these short stories about like refracting light and these weird parallel universes. And it wasn't sci-fi. It was just like, it's just some abstract out there shit. And as a result, and, and you can admire it for the craft. Right. But, but then, but then, what 
for me, just personally, I'm like, I don't know, it's hard. It's hard for me to say like, I want I want more connection to like the ground reality, but I'm like, Borges, this is dope that you're painting these fucking abstract, multifaceted worlds, yeah. but some part of me hungers for like a more concrete yeah. statement. You and know I what think, I mean? <clears throat> I think like, I think that's why like Rakim's imagery was what it was like the fact that he sort of embodied this hip-hop culture and you see like he always like refers to hip-hop as it or yeah. you know so it's like it's not just the music to him obviously so it's it's how you dress it's all of that and the fact that he sort of embodied that at its most sort of like exalted street level the fly dope dealer that's how i always sort of describe how rockin with with dress and shit so it's kind of like looking at looking at him from that lens i think people from that era probably are emotionally connected yeah. because yeah. they know like he embodied the culture whereas all we have left because that's not necessarily our um everyday sort of culture lived experience or whatever we have the music to go by and and because his music isn't narrative based and it's not you know it's not enough there for people who aren't from that era to connect like that that's where it gets lost but you have to look at it which is what rakim is also like getting across is like you have to look at hip-hop in its totality like it's not just the music it's like how do you talk how are you walking what are you wearing you know, all of that type of shit is also, you know, a part of it. So it's like with him, yeah, the lyrics, he may not have been giving you all of himself directly. Like, here's what my, you know, daily life is like. Here's what I'm going through, whatever. But you saw it in what he wore. You saw it in how he talked, how he carried himself and all of that shit. So it's just kind of like he's a walking embodiment of yeah. Of that. Okay, so that okay. gets me back to this other question I had for you, which was that when you talking about like the connection that cats are able to have or not have mm-hmm. to someone like Rakim. Rakim talked a lot about and also talking about like the the technological constraints and like the genre constraints of the time because mm-hmm. when you're forging a new path, you're still constrained by like what people mm-hmm. think, think of as yeah, the genre yeah. that you're changing. Yeah. So, he talked a lot about how and this also goes to I think why sometimes it's hard for me to like, you know, really appreciate what it is that DM run DMC means mm-hmm. uh, like on a musical level and stuff like that. Like back then, like there weren't really hooks as we know them today, like a like a poppy chorus sung by a singer and then a verse, like a, a clean 16, right? The song structure was much more open and there weren't really hooks. There were scratches. Mm-hmm. There was a verse that would go on for however long. Right. You also noticed that songs were like five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes right. long back then. There, there was a verse that would go on for as long as the MC needed, and then there would be a scratch, maybe a little sample, a sparse mm-hmm. sample. Mm-hmm. And Rakim is was talking about how with the, introdu- with the introduction of the hook, he, he says that songs got better, but hip-hop suffered. That songs themselves got better, but hip-hop suffered and i'm just what what do you think about that what do you think about how like the introduction of the hook changed hip-hop did it did it did it change it for the better did it 
I mean, it it depends on what our standards for better are. Like, are we talking about, you know, mainstream commercial success? If that's what our standard is. And yeah, the hook made it better because more people can, at least people are going to know the fucking hook. And they're going to be able to sing along with the hook. Like, um, Lil Wayne just, uh, he just did, he just did Drink Champs. And I watched a little bit of it. And one of the parts I did catch was him talking about him and Drake. It was some years ago when they were on tour together. And at one part, at one point during their set, they would just go back and forth and trade hooks. <laughs> like, right. you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's just like the fact that you could literally perform an entire set with just hooks. hooks. Yeah. You know, is indicative of this like commercial drive. Yeah. Right. That like cats are just like, okay, this is something that we can easily learn and and whatever. And then so I think in that sense, if we're just looking at it straight commercially, then yeah, the hook was I guess a good Well yeah, thing. it certainly paved it certainly paved the way for yeah. hip hop to become like the, the pop music, yeah, the, right, the most right. pop you know. But um in terms of hip hop suffering, yeah. Of course it did. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, look at that. Like, now the onus is sort of on the hook being fire. Right. As opposed... And then it's like, what can you get off in between? Yeah, yeah right, yeah, right. Yeah. As opposed to, like, the scratching is just, like... Or the, the small sample, you know, in between verses is just to sort of let you catch your breath. Bridge the gap. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's kind of like... And, and now we're like, our attention is not on the verse or the verses anymore. Yeah. It's, it is like, what's the hook? How catchy is it? Type shit or whatever. And you're not, you're not like paying attention to the craft. Yeah. And it all it's also just wild to think about and it just sort of blew my mind when he was talking about how, you know, nowadays you don't really hear cats on a third verse. No. Like no. like the third the third verse is is done. Yeah, it's two sixteens really. Like right. But I mean back then, and that's that's the thing. Like you really have to. That's why I think reading this memoir so was so dope to me because it really helped me. Like we've talked, I've talked on this podcast before about how I I understand um, people's acts place in history in hip hop mm-hmm. history, but it's just hard for me to with my ears really, really grab on to like, you know, the run DMCs. Right. I mean, like the run DMCs, even, even like the early, even like some paid in full rock him, even, um, you know, Melly Mel, the message that's like, there's like, that's like a seven minute song with like six verses, like six fucking verses. And like, you have to really like, do work to calibrate your expectations like okay i'm not going to be getting some easily digestible radio friendly or just like fr- yeah. fret pleasing yeah. um hook to propel right. the song it's not really going to be know structured what? you know what it what it is is like so hip hop hip hop being this like underground you know subculture essentially um an amalgamation of all types of shit um the fact that like at its root it's you know 
anti-radio, anti-establishment. Yeah. It's not supposed to be polished. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to like, because I mean, the message is obviously the first like conscious, like sort of depiction of what the hood really looked like. Right. Um, you you like you can hear it that is like cats who you know recorded this shit in the fucking closet or some sh- you know what i'm saying like it's it's not it's not meant to be polished the the shit that i see now like it's all you know let's mix it and master it let's make sure that you know that so and so is singing the oh let's tweak the vocals a little bit yeah. like, you know what i'm saying? like it's it's just a more polished product that we have now and so a lot of that like cultural sort of residue has been like wiped away. For like, sure. You know what I'm saying? For sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a double edged sword, I think. For, I mean, for, for me personally, <laughs> because it's it's hard to to get beyond that. Like, OK, there's like really not a whole lot like there's not a whole lot of harmony mm-hmm. in that relationship. <laughs> like there's like it's so spare. Right. It's so spare. And it's long and there's not really much to grab onto. Um, but you get what you're getting is the, the unfettered, the unfucked with picture of what it was. Right. Exactly. It's, I mean like that's, that's almost like, it's like the funk transition into R and B like radio R and B is the same shit with like hip hop with like fucking go back to Funkadelic before the Parliament Funkadelic merger. Like go back to Funkadelic. It's nine minute songs, yeah. 10 minute songs and shit of just, you know, Lord knows what. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like you you look at you look at that and then into the transition of like, okay, now we're going into, you know, soul and going into uh, R&B, like radio R&B and shit. Same thing with hip hop is like the transition into like early, early hip hop. Now into, you know, this more gangster shit and now we just straight up like pop. Yeah. You know? Like so it's the same sort of transition. Yeah. Okay, so I got a few just a few more things and we can yeah. wind it down. What do you I I'm curious to know what you think about um how Rakim handled like his his religion and how he infused that into his rhymes. Mm. And when I was thinking, and this is not, this is going to sound like a like pejorative, but it's truly not. It's just gen- truly a question. Um, at what point does, if you're taking inspo from like religious texts, mm-hmm. does the, the artistic product you're putting out collapse into religious art? Like, is it is it fair at all to say that Rakim, or at least some of his music, is he's like, you know, a five percent rapper? The same way we might say that, you know, there's Christian rock. There's, you know, mm. what do you just what do you, just what what do you what was your take on his all all the discussion of his spirituality, his religion, how he incorporated all all of that into his music? Yeah, I I think like so. I think to look at Rakim's sort of spirituality, especially in the context of like the 5% nation, is to look at hip hop as 
being rooted in a lot of, you know, a lot of hip hop at that time, being rooted in this, you know, five, like I, I just watched, um, <clears throat> I just watched Talib's uh, podcast and I kind of catch most episodes, but he just had Planet Asia on there. Planet Asia is, uh, you know, he's from California or whatever, but Planet Asia is, you know, five percenter, you know, uh, you had all kind of cats that were like running with the nation in the five percent in the five percenters and shit like that to where it was like it wasn't so much religion as it was a political outlet for a lot of cats like it was it was more so like this religious text was just a, an avenue into more like because you saw like Cube was running with the nation of Islam and like these these weren't they weren't necessarily devout Muslims right you know what I'm saying they were this was a way to frame okay I'm a young black man in America coming from you know working class or poor you know environments I'm susceptible to you know all of these sort of factors and forces that I don't have any control over and so how do I frame this world and shit right and who's like one of the major figures that cats look to is Malcolm X. Who's growing, who know, like what, okay, here's the Nation of Islam, this organization that, you know, helped cultivate, you know, Malcolm to an extent. Um, and you have people, you know, different groups growing out of that, which is where the 5% nation yep. comes from. And so it's like, a lot of that shit wasn't, like I said, it just wasn't really sort of, religious maybe spiritual but then i think once you go into spiritual then dmx is spiritual tupac is spiritual of course of you know course i think where i'm coming from with with rakim is his more he talks pretty explicitly about i'm in some of my rhymes i'm genuinely trying to impart the wisdom of the five percenters yeah, yeah. in my rhymes yeah and and that's why again it's like i think it's spiritual i mean i think to say like because DMX is praying on on records and shit like he has entire records that are just prayers. Yeah. And he's not trying to convert you to Christian or to accept Jesus in that moment. It's like it's a spiritual sort of um expression, I think more so than it is like here listen to this and to get this doctrine, you know, in order to you know, live your life based on this doctrine. Like, I, I don't think he's, I don't think with Rock Kim stuff, he may be trying to impart knowledge or whatever, but imparting knowledge and trying to convert somebody are two different. For sure. I, I don't think he's trying to convert anyone. I, yeah. yeah. It's and, just, that's where, that's another one of those moments or the, the, another facet of the Rock Kim in terms of what he presents mm -hmm. to the world, where it's again harder. For me to, I don't know. Yeah, and I, I think again, like that's, I think that's just indicative of how sort of rooted hip hop was in those like, because we got to think like it, even though like it was a multicultural sort of coalition that helped launch hip hop, it's still an outgrowth of black music of a black experience, and so to have that connection to like the 5% nation and people who were connected directly to the nation of Islam, I think is more so of this like sign of 
of tying the spiritual to the political participation, right? Mm. And and getting that across. That was just like you you know what I was like you had cats who were like like he said like cats were getting college degrees and shit, but they were like wearing fucking dashikis and you know what I'm saying like it was a different type of cultural awareness that that shit is coming out of and that he's speaking to, which is again like. That's where the emotional connection for cats coming out of that time comes from. Yeah. As opposed to that's just not our political reality. Right. In the same way. And so even though those most of the same conditions are, are yeah. here, just we don't participate in the political in that same yeah. way. And so listening to listening to him speak about it at that time, you gotta like listen to it from like, okay, I'm 1980s living in fucking Harlem the fucking 5% school is you feel me like yeah, right yeah, here yeah. on Adam Clayton and sh- you know it's like you gotta think about like this is the sort of milieu that he's sort of coming out of as yeah. opposed to like what he was saying was universal you know what I'm saying it was like really tied that's where he was bound that's what he was sort of bound to was his time and cultural context and that's just you know what i'm saying like that's just kind of where i see it so i i I would i would definitely say like it's spiritual but spiritual insofar as like this larger political objective that you could say chuck d was on yeah 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 Yeah. i was thinking of chuck d too i guess i guess the best way for me to me to put it is like in the same way that i can be impressed but not have the emotional attachment to like you know, overtly <clears throat> Christian writing or art. Like, I remember in college, I took a class on Paradise Lost by John Milton, and like, no doubt, John Milton was getting busy with all mm-hmm. of his forget double meanings, but quadruple meanings in terms of the biblical illusions and what he's flipping and what is projected by the Bible and then what he what he's taking and incorporating into his take, what he's saying about what the Bible is saying. That's all great, but at a certain point, I'm like, this is, it's more like, <clears throat> this is your take on a very specific thing that I just don't have a, I just don't have a connection to, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, and, and, but that's what I'm like, that's why I said, like, in order, I, I don't necessarily think you need to have a connection to sort of understand the context that it grows out of. True. Yeah, yeah. True, true. Okay, here's my last thing. So, because I was prompted to go back and do some more reading about, you know, like, EPMD, Big Daddy Kane, all that, all the Rick Rubin shit we were talking about, I noticed that Pitchfork Media, the mm-hmm. website, mm-hmm had this whole series where they like went back and reviewed so-called classic albums from from that time period. Mm-hmm. So they reviewed like Beastie Boys, they reviewed um or they reviewed Beastie Boys License to Ill, they reviewed I think they reviewed all of Rakim's Eric B and Rakim's four albums, they reviewed all of Run DMC's shit from that early period and Bro, they fucking, on like Run DMC, they, they destroyed, like they, they killed it as like, 
cring, worth like cringy, tasteless, and Beastie Boys. You know, I mean, say what you want about me, whatever. Let's put the Beastie Boys shit aside. Um, but like Run DMC, like Run DMC's first album, like or like Raising Hell, they were like coming down so hard on it mm-hmm. as like not really. Basically, the takeaway I was getting was like they're saying that it's really not. Yes, it's important in terms of understanding. The history, you can't tell the story of hip-hop without it. But in terms of having any sort of intrinsic value today, no, not really. And I'm like, and I'm like, fair, fair enough. But it's sort of no doubt that if this dude, Tom Brahan was his name, because I was, I was pissed at this mm-hmm. shit. Not that I'm a fucking huge Run DMC fan. Like... No doubt if this dude was alive in the 80s when Run DMC, Beastie Boys, LL Cool G, and Rick he, Rubin... He, he would not be saying that shit. Bro, he would be... Statistically speaking, he would be in the vast majority of people who were going crazy at this shit. Of course. And so what does it say about your reviews and the way you look back on history if the only reason, the only reason you can attribute for you being having such a critical take on something is just the, the luck of being born in 1995, 1991, instead of being right. 19 years old when Beastie Boys were out here popping. Right. Like, that's just so whack to me. Again, vapid. <laughs> vapid critical takes. And, like, I, and I'm not saying that, like, there aren't, I'm not saying that hindsight critical can, in quotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I'm not saying that hindsight can never be 2020. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not saying that we can't, as a culture, do some wild shit and then look back on it and be like, oh, that, I don't know about that. Like that's possible. But I'm just saying to to have because the tone of these articles were written oh, yeah, in such yeah, yeah. a way that that the the implication was that. Even if this dude was alive back then, he would have been able to to separate the wheat yeah. from the chaff. No. And I'm like, no fucking way, bro. No, no. Like to not even acknowledge that is just so whack to me. Yeah. Like, and it's really because, in a larger sense, like people don't look at people look at history like as a series of events. So you look at like, oh, Run DMC was out in the '80s. And now we fast forward to today and it's just like, oh, that shit from the 80s is like history is a process. So you don't get to this point today without run DMC. Like you just it does not happen like this. This, I guess, as, as far as this universe is concerned, maybe in another one, maybe as going back to our multiverse <laughs> shit, maybe in that in that universe, run DMC never exists and we still have hip hop. But in this motherfucking uh, universe we live in no like history is a process so you have to you have to appreciate shit for getting you to this point yep and you have to understand how shit you know like why it sounds like that what is coming I, out that's of. what it was that's <clears throat> fuck that's so right because the tone of these articles was just was it wasn't the real the, really the substance of the articles that pissed me off it was the dismissive tone yeah and I'm like, it goes back to like the technological constraints. You're acting the the un, the unstated assumption of these articles. That's fucking so stupid. Is that you're acting like Run and 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 Rick Rubin and LL Cool J had all the tools at, oh, yeah. at their disposal, and they chose to, to, right, to let, right, let, let's right. give it that like that '80s hair metal. Let, right. Let's like it's like no, that's what it was. Yeah, like it's like to not. To not understand it, like, to not understand that 
you know, Rick Rubin is coming out of this punk scene that, you know, that he's obviously infusing that that sonic, that punk sonic value to hip hop. Like it, to, to say that, you know, as is in terms of like how we see hip hop is this like viable commercial product that's able to sell the any and fucking everything. Run DMC did that. I'm sure Adidas loves them. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm, Aerosmith had a resurgence. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like I, I'm sure cats were fucking with it. So it's like to look at to look at history just from like your perspective and and sort of understand it in your context only and leave it at that is really just fucked up. Like it's just disingenuous. Totally, it's a disingenuous totally. Totally. Yeah, and it, it could either be disingenuous or people genuinely think that they're going to be the exceptions to the rule. And I'm oh like, yeah, yeah. Or and that, I'm like, yeah. probably probably not. Yeah, and like, you're not. Yeah, you're not. So not so writing yeah. that fucking pitchfork. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bro. Yeah. Shout out to the God MC. Yeah, we got to get Rockham on here. I know this is the call. This is the I'm putting out the bat call. Yes, yeah, speaking <laughs> the bat it, signal. speaking it into existence. <laughs> I feel like it could happen for sure. Alright bro, next time. Later. Now that you mention it, yeah.